0: This episode of Game Master's Journey is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit likestarwalker.com/support. Starwalker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 291 of Game Master's Journey. I'm your host Lex Starwalker. On this show we discuss the craft and the art of game mastering. I've been running RPGs for over 30 years now and I produce this show in the hopes that you can benefit from my experience, my triumphs, and my mistakes. Today I am joined by a guy that uh, I've played a lot of RPGs with, Craig. And if you uh, have listened to or watched any of uh, my actual play, you might you might already be familiar with Craig. He's been in most, if not all, of the games that I've run uh, on the actual play. And as I've mentioned a couple times, I think, in previous episodes, Craig is now running... Mage the Ascension for us, and uh, we've been having a lot of fun with that. So, Craig's going to join me today to talk about his Mage Chronicle and what it's like running a game where the player characters can do just about anything that they can imagine. And we also talk about some of the differences between more mechanics focused games and more narrative focused games and just uh, GMing in general. So uh, this is going to be a two-part interview, so we will uh, finish up this discussion in the next episode, episode 292. But uh, without further ado, let's uh, get Craig in here and let's talk GM to GM. So Craig, actually, I'm shocked. This is the first time you've ever been on this podcast. Because well, I don't think it's the first time I've been on the podcast. Oh, I've been on not? the
1: podcast in actual plays many oh, times. Correct,
0: true, true, but but yeah. not on the uh, this. It's this good to start out a. <laughs> it's good to start out a podcast in a really pedantic nature. Yeah, but uh, gosh, we've been playing together since GM Intrusion days. Were were you in the uh Devil Spine thing that I ran? I yes, I think I was. I think maybe that's the first time we played together. Yeah, it was Devil's
1: Spine. Yes, I remember because we started out in a pit somewhere and we all I think actually we might have played something earlier than that. Because I think that was a follow-up.
0: Yeah. Anyways. Could it's be been could be. One of the uh many years. <laughs> yeah, one of the adventures in the book, probably. Because I, yeah. I know I ran a lot of those. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's strange as long as we've been playing together and this is the first time you're on this part of the podcast. <laughs> yes. No, I'm looking forward to it. It's fun. So um, yeah, anybody that's watched the actual play or listened to it, you already know who Craig is. And uh, even if not, um, Craig has been mentioned on recent episodes because Craig is running a mage campaign for us, yeah. which is actually, basically it was our Numenera group right? And I wanted to take a break from GMing and, and you volunteered to run Mage. Yeah, I think I had a couple too many beers by that time in the <laughs> evening and I didn't know what I was getting into. But yeah, yeah, it was funny. We were talking on Discord and, and I mentioned that, that I think that Mage is at least a couple orders of magnitude more difficult to run than any of the other White Wolf games. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You give your players the power of gods and things get complicated.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, I thought I'd have you on today and we can talk a bit about the campaign. Um, I I don't play RPGs as much as I would like to. So, so when I do, I'd love to get the the GM on here and get another GM's perspective.
1: I think I'm, yeah, kind of in rare company of uh, people who actually GMed for Lex. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, Brett's yeah. been on before, who's in our, our mage group. Yeah. Um, and I played in a, a D&D campaign he ran. Well, actually, a couple of campaigns that he ran.
1: Right. Right. I remember you telling a story of how your divine, like you had a divine moment where they, you were able to really, really play. You managed to roll that like under 10 or whatever oh, and yes. have world change.
0: Yeah, the divine intervention actually yes. finally worked. Finally worked. Yeah, that was awesome. So so yeah, you're running Mage for us, which is awesome. I guess before we get specific to Mage, we'll we'll talk about some more general things. Since this is your first time on here, sure. um, we can we can learn a bit about you as a GM. So, what's your kind of your style and approach as a as a GM? Do you think it's sort of a combination? I'd say of like um, prepping
1: what I know I need to prep, and then. Only prepping what I need to prep and sort of relying on my own uh, improvisational skills, as such as they are. Right, like you know, over the years of GMing, you sort of tend to lean into what you know that you can, what you know you can sort of create on the fly, and what sort of feels like it's what, even though you're creating it, it feels like it was pre thought out and and things like that. But you also, like, I've learned what I can't, right? So yeah. whenever I'm GMing, I need, to, I need to prep overall plots. I need to know what the world, like what the different people are wanting to do as far as goals and things like that. But I don't need to know anything like individual conversations. I can do individual conversations on the fly. Um, other things I can't do, I cannot create a name on the fly to save my life. So I <laughs> make sure I always have like a sheet on, uh, on, on my desk, that just has like random names from like character generators, and when I need to create an NPC that I hadn't thought of before, scratch, you now have so and so. And, uh, cause yeah, I don't know. Um, creating a name is impossible. And if I try to c- create them on the fly, they either sound incredibly stupid or they sound incredibly blase. And it becomes very obvious to everybody that this person <laughs> didn't exist more than 30 seconds ago.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I uh, will usually have a list of names and then cross them off as I use them. Mm-hmm. So, so how annoying is it to you? I don't think we have one in our mage group right now, but um, how annoying is it when you have the player that wants to know everybody's name? <laughs> so,
1: you know what? It's kind of an interesting forcing function. I have another game that I run. Um, it's a Pathfinder 2 game, and the character there is an investigator. And their entire mechanic of that class is basically like recalling knowledge about people and creatures and the world and everything like that. So, because I know I have that player there who is going to be asking questions, is going to be going into it, it's sort of forced me right from the beginning of that campaign to understand more, to have better answers for this, to, you know. Half the time, when you create an NPC, they're a uh, stand-in. They exist for thirty seconds and then they're gone, right? Because yeah. nobody, you know, nobody really cares. It was like, oh well, <laughs> go down the corner and you'll find the person there, and then that person disappears and they never be seen again. Problem solved. Well, in that game, I almost guarantee that that person will have some sort of questions asked asked of them: who they are, where they're going, <laughs> who their parents are, all of this sort of stuff. So I've uh, I've ended up having to create like, instead of just my random name list, I have to have some random characteristics that I can just create oh, yeah. on the fly, <laughs> right? Because like an NPC really just needs one memorable thing. Yeah. Right? You don't want any, honestly, two memorable things is too many. You just want the characters to be able to, the PCs to be able to remember who that person was. So they need to have, all thing that they can remember. Right, that's they're
0: it. like, oh yeah, that's the guy with the missing tooth.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> probably well. guy yeah. with the missing tooth, or whatever, right? Um, so, uh, that's good, and then I can just build from there, but it's, that, that player has been an interesting sort of function on it that I thought would be annoying, but is actually doing a really good job of building out the world and the campaign in ways that a more mechanical-focused game like Pathfinder and D&D tends to not do as much because people are sort of moving from encounter to encounter and things are usually at a big scale. And so creating the little intimate moments where characters just have like conversations happens less frequently. Well, this happens a lot <laughs>
0: because this player's <laughs> entire character is built around doing that. So, yeah. I, I'm the same way. I have a hard time coming up with names on the fly. Do, do you find it's easier with Mage since it's our world current day? it's easier yeah. to just pull out names.
1: <laughs> yeah, because like you can just create like a boring name and it's fine. Right? Yeah. Like you have met, well, I don't know. I feel like I might call out somebody's boring. You met Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Sue's here. Sue's a perfectly fine name. Yeah. Right? But like if you walked into a tavern and you met, you know, here is a elf named Sue. Yeah. It just would feel weird. <laughs> right. right?
0: Yeah, unless you're going to have the character named Aragorn or something like you have to create a name on the spot, not just like you think do. of one that you've heard of. And they
1: need to be signed sort of culturally appropriate right. or right. know, ancestry appropriate and all this and then you know worlds like D&D where there's a dozen different races running around and if you have everybody that same so Mage is great for that. You can just like my list is pretty pretty simple and boring on this one. I tend to throw in, you know, I just have a random random American name generator and it just Yeah has some stuff and you're good to go. The other thing that makes it easier is that like you can just think of people in your own life that are and just like steal them whole cloth.
0: Yeah. Yeah in, for in sure. modern.
1: Or 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 just go to like any TV show or any movie that you've ever come from and there's no needing to even do the little thing that because I do that in my fantasy games and sci-fi games and stuff like that too, but you need to sort of put them through the fantasy lens or the sci-fi lens in order to have somebody come out the other end and feel a little bit more right they're that friend you have but they also have i don't know cybernetic eyes and so you know move through a little bit here you don't even need to do that you can just take somebody that you know and plunk right down easy peasy yeah so
0: yeah yeah it is easier (laughs) the the world is easier too Because you already know so much about the world that you don't have to study or memorize, unlike any other setting (laughs) that you'd run in. Right. So world building is done um, for you because we're already
1: in that world. But what you do need to do, and I guess one of the things that I was always worried about when running a World of Darkness game, was how like, the games are have this reputation, at least, being a very political-based game. Yeah. And there are all of these different factions that are all sort of working against and and with each other, and everybody has their own goals and machinations and everything like that. So where the world itself from from a setting point of view is kind of easy, it's just where we already are, it's building on top of that with all of those with all of those like factions and everything that I tend to like, again, in some fantasy games, I, if there's an enemy faction, they're like the enemy faction. And we don't really need to worry about there being 12 enemy factions who yeah. are also like your friends. Yeah.
0: Right? Like,
1: <laughs> generally there's the bad guys over there. There's the good guys here. Maybe it gets 10% more complicated than that, but it doesn't really need to. Honestly, most players get a little bogged down if it gets way too complicated. But in Mage and World of Darkness, I felt like that was part of the heritage of the game. Yeah. So I had to, fo- I spent more time focusing on that than the actual world.
0: Yeah. And it definitely is more the focus of how the game is written. You know, unlike a game like D&D or Pathfinder, although there there are a lot of mechanics for combat, it's not really the focus of the game. Right. Um and, and this kind of goes, I think, back to uh, some of the things that that Monty Cook Games uh, talked about when they when they created Numenera, That you can kind of tell the focus of a game by by what the players are rewarded for. So in D anD D, you get XP for defeating monsters and and stuff like that. Where like in Mage, you know, they have suggestions for what you give XP for, and and none of it is really like. Killing someone or defeating. I mean, the only one that's close is the heroic thing. And that only requires that you were in danger and did something heroic, which isn't necessarily combat. That could have been like an avalanche or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, you know, I would, you know, saving a little old
1: lady from being run over yeah, on the street. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Very heroic. And uh, nobody needed to die. Numenera I did a very good job of that. Is and was one of the first games that I sort of played that I sort of realized that sort of the the economics of XP. Yeah. Right. Like, if what you what you give people something for the thing they want is what they're going to do. So, you know, and that's where D and D sort of their focus is very much. oh, look the rulebook. I think it's like eighty percent of it is probably yeah on uh, on how to swing a sword or cast a spell that takes away hp yeah so um you know that's where a lot of the real estate comes and that's where a lot of your xp comes so that's what the expectation is from players is to when when you have somebody walking around with a big sword <laughs> they expect to swing it
0: <laughs> yeah and they're even like in D there are classes like um like the fighter like especially even the battle master fighter but really any of the fighters you don't really you know, if you look at the skills they get and stuff, you don't have anything to do or anything to help you mechanically outside of combat, really. So if you have a player playing a fighter, they're just kind of sitting around waiting for a combat so they can do all their cool stuff. And, and it's sort of, you know,
1: D&D, especially for this, has that where if you do try to focus on something, like I want to try to have... Uh, my fighter also be the face and let's try to do a high charisma fighter Yeah, you're just going to be worse at what your main job is right like there's just no way that that's gonna play out that doesn't make you worse at being a fighter so you know which is a bit of a shame because you know there's absolutely a space for there to be a charismatic you know like a battle master should be a charismatic person, but it doesn't really reward you for doing that. And I think you might get an extra
0: couple of superiority dice, maybe. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> well, and another thing that really makes mage different, I, I assume we, we haven't played a lot of it and I don't have any prior experience with it, but it seems to be the case. And it's definitely the case with uh, vampire and changeling that, that I played a lot is the game actually discourages combat because especially when you first start out, basically anything out in the world other than just a mundane human is more powerful than you and can end you like with a snap. And even a human can be a threat if they're well armed or they're, you know, they're really skilled or something like that. I'll just get the jump on you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's very much kind of like when you get into combat, there's a very real chance that you're going to lose your character in, in a way. I mean, you can have that level of threat in D&D, but it's like you can also like face off against a few goblins and you're not really worried. Where where in these games, like almost any combat, you're kind of like, man, this could be the end.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, our previous session, we threw yes. I threw you against a, a, a few vamps and uh, they were not particularly... Elder vampires by any stretch of the imagination, right. and they, it was not like you had to be creative in how you were going to maneuver your way through that because they were taking you down to near death in one or two attacks, no yeah. problems. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was kind of an eye opener because that was, I guess we, I think we went five or six sessions before any combat yeah. happened in that mage game, yeah. and so. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. The game itself doesn't really give you any tools for how to make
0: encounters or (laughs) anything like that. So, or even NPCs. I remember you observing, oh, you have to basically make a player character (laughs) for an NPC. Yeah. Like, you have to make a player character for all intents and purposes. So, I mean, they have like. npcs in the book or whatever but but they are like it's not in any way simplified from what a player character is it's the same it's
1: identical and if i had one complaint about mage as a so so far and there really is the only the one is like as a gm i have enough going on make my life easier i don't need to have 20 different stats and how they interact and a bunch of abilities and equipment and blah blah. i'm like no so I actually went online and I did find somebody who created a system for simplified NPCs. So I just stole that and went good. Cool. And it's for a different version of world of darkness and
0: we'll evolve it over time, but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll move through it, it as the same concept. Yeah. You know, it's been so long since I've run these games. I don't really remember how I handled NPCs, but I think I, I either used one of the sample ones from the book or I actually made a character. Um yeah. I mean it's easier because you don't have to spend points, you just put the dots wherever you want. But
1: <laughs> True. But again, there's no encounter recommendations. Right. So I have no yeah. idea how strong or weak a character should be. And I haven't played much mage. I've right. played a, exactly the same amount of mage as you have.
0: <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's been a lot of fun so far. And and I guess why we're kind of on the topic, we're we're off script already. But um the the ways you get XP in Mage and, and the other World of Darkness games are the same way are are more about role playing than anything else. So you have like similar to D anD D, you have uh, personality archetypes that kind of describe who you are, and and you get an XP for actually playing that, which is really cool. It'd be, it'd be kind of like if in D anD D you got XP for you know playing your what your Personality traits and flaws and and stuff like that. If, if that's where you got, right? yeah, yeah, if you got your XP from that instead of encounters, so that's really cool.
1: I, I very much like it because it very much teaches players that they're they being a good player is understanding your character, understanding how your connect, character connects with both the world because that's the role playing side but they also have the xp for how they interact with the world as like part of their mage magic side yeah so you know you have those sorts of two spectrums about are you playing your characters viewpoints of the world as well as you're playing your character themselves yeah and uh, you know as you say none of this has to do with you know killing a vampire you can you can sit there and murder dudes until forever and i promise you you'll never get an xp from it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and and like you said just a few minutes ago it was our fifth or sixth something session before we even had a combat and you know in a lot of like dnd games if you went that long without a combat especially if you have you know a character like a fighter or something where that's kind of all they do um you the players would really be like when the hell are we gonna fight something Yeah. Where in this game, I don't think it was
1: like that at all. No, no, no. I think the moment that you that the the combat actually started, everybody had a oh no moment. Like, (laughs) how how do we not do this? I think you immediately teleported away. (laughs) I did. That was
0: yeah. That was at that point the biggest magical thing I'd ever done was to get out of combat. (laughs) (laughs) To run away. Okay, so um, go- going back to our outline, to script. <laughs> uh, d- did you say everything you wanted to say about yep. your style and approach? I think so. And then a whole bunch more. <laughs> yeah, so what are of, of the games you've played and or run, what are your some of your favorites? And what did you like about them? Yeah, I
1: think like I- I'm really enjoying what our mage game is doing right now. Um, it- it's having, I'm having a lot of fun with it. i have I've never really played the played or run any of these, so it's having absolute time. But I have like a Thursday group that I've been playing with for well, we've been meeting weekly for over ten years now. Wow, and that's so awesome. yeah. And uh, there's been some absolutely amazing things in there that we've played. And the great thing about that group is that everybody in it has GM'd like multi-year campaigns. So we everybody switches back from behind the screen to in front of the screen uh, fairly regularly, and everybody knows what both sides of that feels like. We've had some amazing games in there. We played uh we're just finishing up like a three year five e game, um, which is fun. We played a game of superheroes bash, which is a little silly superhero game that was absolutely amazing. It was uh one character in there who played an incorporeal ghost type character who their entire deal was taking like mind control and taking over NPCs. That was their entire oh, cool. power set. So all that that character did was show up, didn't have a body, didn't exist, <laughs> pop in and inhabit some of the NPCs, and just take the character sheets from the GM. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and and it was it was an amazing story. It was an amazing campaign, but it really sort of taught taught me a lot of what to do, of how to, how to play with broken characters, like, quote-unquote, broken characters, how to play outside of different comfort zones. Like, you know, that game, you, your average GM is not going to, you know, hand over their character sheets that have all of their notes, all their storylines, all of everything on it, because, yeah. you know, it feels like you're getting away from whatever mystery is being told. But it's instead learning how to play, like, with, what your players are wanting to do and, and having a team and having a group like that, that we've been playing with forever means that you can really feel comfortable doing whatever you want to. Yeah. And awesome. so, you know, there's some great games there and, uh, oh yeah, like the Numenera games, of course that we've played, those are always an absolute blast. <laughs> I've, uh, I've always had fun with those back from way back in the
0: day to very recently so i gotta ask you 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 have this this one group you've been with for 10 years which i, I think is the dream for most of us um so so have you ever um played a D or pathfinder or 13th age or or game like that from like beginning to max level have, have you ever achieved gotten that achievement yep. unlocked <laughs> yeah we've done it multiple times awesome yeah we
1: did uh I have done it with all three of those systems. I did a awesome. uh, 13th age game from 1 to 10 because that's as high as it goes. Yeah. I ran uh I played in a Pathfinder game that went from 1 to 20. We did Way of the Wicked with that. Um we were playing evil characters. Ooh. Um which was entertaining. And uh yeah, we're just finishing off our 5v campaign and that's for high level. I think we'll probably get to 20 or close enough to. Awesome. So, yeah, it's uh It's rare, I think, for most people to ever say that. But we're we're kind of lucky that we have the group that we have, and we we play through. And the when you join up, it's expected that this is going to be a long haul thing. And when you volunteer to GM, the expectation is you're going to go until the wheels fall off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think um, the last time I did that in like D anD D was third edition. Yeah. I, I had a campaign that went actually beyond twentieth level. We started to get into the some of the epic level stuff. I think we got to like level twenty-three.
1: Oh wow. We never I never played around with the epic stuff.
0: We I don't
1: know. I, I, I can't just like so level twenty, we'll use that as an example of like level twenty is a really weird level because like once you're there you just stop tracking XP, stop tracking milestones and all that because you're yeah. done, right? Yeah. And and so what ends up usually, what, what has happened in our games most of the time is it sort of ends up being like you reach 20th level and then you like walk into the big bads layer And then you're kind of like you have one epic fight at 20th level and then some, you know, prologue or some epilogue and then you're done because there's like, there's nothing, there's no carrots to go for anymore. Yeah. So maybe, maybe epic levels would at least provide some carrot to keep going.
0: Yeah, it was, it was some crazy stuff. And and I know they have some optional stuff in 5e for beyond 20, but it's pretty underwhelming. Um, Yeah it definitely, you're not getting much
1: after, no. after that.
0: It's, it's not like the epic stuff.
1: Like, as somebody who's just who's playing a high-level 5e campaign right now, it's... I don't think that's where 5e sings. Like I think 5e sings at a lower level.
0: Yeah, that's what I've heard. And
1: then, because when you get to those big high levels, you're... You, you don't gain that much that's more impressive. A lot of times, it's like, my I get a level two of one of a feature that i got at fifth level and now i have the third version of it now i can do it three times a day instead of twice a day or something like that like you're not there's there's nothing really exciting that's happening from that wizards get eighth and ninth level spells which are silly so that's fun but that's about it yeah (laughs) like you know throwing out a wish can really screw a campaign (laughs) yes
0: yeah, I still hope to to get our game, our D and D game that that I was running up there. I don't even remember. were you guys like tenth level or something? I don't remember. Yeah, maybe. Gotta,
1: I had to go back, back to that D&D
0: Beyond and see. I think we yeah. might have been somewhere in that level because we finished the uh, the Avernus adventure. Yep. So I maybe you guys well, were no, like oh, we
1: finished going to Avernus, whereupon I think you thought yeah. this is a cool concept, and then took four sentences from the book and recreated the rest of it yourself
0: (laughs) yeah well well it's more like just hacking out huge parts of it Um, yeah but yeah i think maybe you guys were as high as like 13 or something but maybe but yeah i'd I'd love to return to that someday when i have the the time to come up with the rest fingers crossed i'm there (laughs) of course i have to say that, that now that you're running mage um it kind of brought back how much I I like the the White Wolf system. Mm-hmm. So I think chances are really good that the the next game I I run will be one of those. <laughs> hey, I, I'm having fun with it. So especially since I have a pretty much complete vampire campaign in the back of my head that that I've never run, that uh yeah I could like run like right now. <laughs> <laughs> And I haven't even, like, I don't even have the notes or stuff anymore, but, but I based a novel on it. So it's like so burned into my brain that, uh, I don't yeah. think I could forget it if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Think about how much space that's taking up
1: in your head that you yeah, can right? learn something else. Right? Seriously. <laughs> there's your, there's your inability to learn Spanish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, well, we've kind of been talking about Mage already, but, yeah. um, So, so we're playing the 20th anniversary edition, uh, which to me, I, when I played these games, it was in the second edition days. And I I think the most recent is like fifth. So, so there's been a lot of iterations since, since I played it, but, but this one seems very similar to me to second. Um, there are some just little mechanics here and there that, that have changed, but I'd say 90% of it is the same. And yeah, I've I've before this campaign I've never played or run mage. I had the book forever. I read it quite a few times, but uh, I was always honestly I was always scared to run it, mainly because of the magic system, which which I've talked about on the show a bit before. But it's interesting because like D and D, if you think about like a wizard or a cleric, your kind of the limiting thing is your like your spells per day and and also that you know specific spells. So like you have these specific things you can do and you can only do them x times per day and mm-hmm. and that's it. Where mage is more like your limitations are more in kind of the scope of what you can do. Yeah. But you don't have specific spells. You can do anything you want that that could feasibly fit within that scope and there's also no real limit to how often you can do it, and I remember in one of the early sessions, I realized I'm like, "Wow, I can just do this a thousand times if I want." Like, it, unless I spend resources to like make it easier, mm-hmm. like it doesn't cost me anything to do it. You can just do it over and over and over forever. Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: it's one of those weird things because like I didn't, I don't think I really realized the limitations of like D and D magic. Like I, I always thought that the major limitation D and D magic was that like spell slots and spells per day and things right. like that. But the actual limitation that comes like that is a limitation. But the major limitation that comes from it that I've noticed from playing mage is that you're not like you're not crafting spells. You're not doing things. You're like doing pre-written, pre-described. They're almost like yeah like legal text of going through and explaining exactly what happens. Right. Like the number of feet away. That's the effect of it, the shape of the effect, the exactly like everything is pre-written and pre-described. Yep. And you can't change um, any of it. No. And there's nothing you can do to, well, (laughs) like some little meta magic things where you can like, cool. Now I can cast it an extra 30 feet, but like, you know, even those are incredibly specific. Right. 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 Yeah, like I'm thinking
0: like classic spell fireball. If you come yeah. up against a red dragon who's immune to fire, you can't just on the fly be like, I'm going to have my fireball do lightning damage instead. Right. You, you might be able to get a feat that lets you do specifically that, but only that. <laughs> right. You can't right. then turn it into acid or something else.
1: Or, or they're different spells. Like you'll have, yeah. you know, there's five different spells that basically are the same thing, except they just do a find and replace for the type of damage like yep. that exists. Yeah. Um the, you know or there's entirely different spells you say okay well now it's a, a wall of fire instead of a fireball. It, like you know they're very very specific and exactly like wall of fire my goodness the amount of like text that goes into describing exactly how big that wall can be and everything like that it's crazy. And then you go into something like mage where like there's a lot more Bonus put on the players because there's hardly even examples in the book of spells that you can cast. Yeah. Like there's a few here and there, but they're more like really specific sort of niche cases. Yeah. It's really on the players to figure out what they're able to do and how they're able to do it. And there becomes this sort of like negotiation or discussion, probably is a better word, between not just the GM and the player, but the play- between the players themselves. Where it's like, wait, maybe you can do this and maybe you can do this. And I think that collaborative nature of that is entertaining. But it certainly is intimidating because, my goodness, (laughs) that open magic system, you have no idea what's going to happen at one second to the next.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's probably like if you're the kind of GM where you do massive preparation and you are not comfortable improvising like during play it's probably not for you because you you can't re- you can't really do that because what the players can do with the magic is so open-ended you you know at least with D D you can say oh my wizard has these spells and my cleric has those spells so i know what they could potentially pull out of their hat but with mage it, it's you really you really don't know what they might come up with like like <laughs> one of our games um our first combat i think my character has correspondence which is the kind of teleporting stuff and you know i was trying to be creative using that to like do damage like like <laughs> the vampires were standing under a street lamp so i teleported away the bolt that like held the the thing on so it fell on them and stuff like that but eventually i ran out of ideas and i'm like i can't do anything what can i do and you were like well what other spheres do you have and I had, I think it was matter. And, and we finally realized like, Oh, I could turn the vampires pants from blue jeans into steel <laughs> to limit their mobility. Yep. And I mean, as a GM, there's no way you could have anticipated before the session that I would do that. Or even me as a player, I couldn't have anticipated that I would do that.
1: Right. But <laughs> like, first of all, uh, as a GM, uh, it never create an NPC that you anticipate will uh, meet a player and survive, um, <laughs> right? Like that's just a, I think that's a good good rule of uh, uh, of creating an NPC. So like combat magic is one thing because combat magic in mage, if you kill the guys or don't kill the guys or they get away or whatever, that's fine. Like for my for me as a player as a GM, I, I can usually my my assumption is probably that everything's going to die and if they don't it just makes things more interesting down the line right yeah but it's when it's out of combat where you know you can teleport i think theoretically at your level you could teleport yourself anywhere within like several hundred miles
0: yeah probably
1: maybe maybe more like you might be able to just walk out from where you are and just like show up in you know San Francisco, where yeah. we're not. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, well, what do I do now? I guess bring up Google Maps, where are you? <laughs> right? yeah. So if you are a high prep uh, GM, I think, I th- I think having a, like a discussion with your players on, let's figure out what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And if you plan on doing something like teleport to another part of this planet yeah um or to another planet um i might need 15 minutes <laughs>
0: yeah. or we might just call it there so i could have we a week call it there. Um, right yeah, yeah uh, for sure. but,
1: but yeah it's the game has the tools to be able to allow you and as we talked earlier in the earlier because mage happens to happen in our own world it's a little easier i think to create something on the fly because you can literally Google stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, that helps a little bit, but yeah, it's a bit intimidating for sure, but it's kind of fun for
0: that. So I don't think I realized when we started this, but, but you'd never actually run or played a white wolf game before this, right? Nope. I
1: technically
0: at like 20 years ago, I was going to play in a
1: vampire game and I think I made a character, but we never actually did the game. So I don't think that
0: counts. I think you have to actually roll dice to have counted as played. (laughs) Yeah. So you jumped into deep end because um, you chose to, to run mage, which I think is just, like I said, at least one or two orders of magnitude more complex for the GM and the players actually. So what, what was your approach to like, to running this? Because I was, I think it was only like two weeks from the time that, that you were like, "Hey, let's do this." To when we actually started playing, it wasn't very long—maybe three it was weeks. Three. Okay, yeah.
1: So, uh, I guess step number one was read a 650-page rule book. Um, oh my god, so I feel for that, you. that was that was a bit of a slog. <laughs> um, and, and i I, 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 don't, I will say i haven't read all 650 pages of that i i made it through about 400 or 300 and went okay i need to start skipping forward because it's like 250 pages before you get to character creation
0: <laughs> yeah and and real quickly for the listeners um the 20th version anniversary edition there there've not only been like numerous versions of of mage as they've like Improves the rule set or whatever, just like D&D or Pathfinder where they have, you know, first edition, second edition. But then there were, so like a mage, the kind of the adversary is called the technocracy who are also mages, but um, they, they come at it from, from like techno science. Yeah. And, and, and kind of the, the idea mages is, is the idea of paradigms, which is how you conceive of how reality works and how your magic works and these different groups are kind of fighting over over that it's kind of complicated but but anyway they had a whole a, a separate core book for if you wanted to play in the technocracy with their own you know character types and all that so mage 20 has all of that in one book so depending like what kind of mage you're wanting to run there's a lot of stuff in there that isn't really relevant to what you're doing and um I imagine for someone who's unfamiliar with all this stuff, it's hard maybe even to know like what's the optional stuff or what's, you know, the stuff I don't need to worry about. (laughs) Well, they also, like
1: the World of Darkness games have these meta plots that exist. Yes. And like where everybody's sort of playing in the same overall storyline, no matter what your campaign is and stuff like that. And like big events happen and they're written in the core books as time goes on and they change things. Yeah. And then the 20th anniversary sort of tries to answer what if all of those, none of those, some of those right. events happened yeah. and allow, and it's like a poor little brain hurts. So uh, luckily they're all in, in boxes with purple backgrounds. And so okay. I just learned to skip those. And that shrunk the book by about a hundred pages. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that helped. But there was so that was the one side is read a big book, but more, more what I did was like the magic system, which is kind of big and complicated. And but that's sort of mechanical. And I feel like as players and the GM, we can sort of or the storyteller, we can play through that. Sort of collaboratively as we go, because everybody's new to it, so that felt okay. Yeah. But it was it was that sort of reputation that World of Darkness games and whole have of this like the politics and everything like that. And i have never really played or ran a, pol- a political focus game before. So what I did in order to allow myself a little bit of freedom was I specifically put you as players away from that. Yeah. Right. Like what I've created as a. Pl- I, I, have it set in a small town in Northern California that the weird thing that happened is that it's been cut off from communications with the rest of the world or it's been filtered. Um, And so, you know what this allows me to do is it takes all those players and put them in a new surround, a new setting. Everybody feels new. Um, They don't have, I don't have to worry about how you connect with nine different mage traditions and all of the other politics of the major cities where you're from, which helps. It it ties back to that, and you can communicate with them because you can call them. But um, for the most part, that little bit of distance allowed me to have a little bit of a bubble that we're playing in and feel like I didn't need to prep an entire planet um and then at the same point it allows you as the players to sort of dip your toe into that element of the game kind of as much or as little as you want well, at least that's my goal i have no idea where that's working
0: <laughs> yeah no i think it is it's kind of like the D equivalent of like starting out in a small village and having like one dungeon nearby so yeah. you know you're limiting the options so you have some idea what to expect
1: Yeah, I'm always sort of a fan of, like, my world-building tactics or techniques have always been, like, bottom-up. Yeah, yeah. Like, figure out where you are and then build, like, just that. Yeah. Don't worry, like, I don't need to figure out the world's creation myths. Right. Pantheons and, you know, all of this. It's like, nope, you're here doing one thing. Right. The town... And there's a lady there who's selling really good soup. And how do we make that work?
0: <laughs> yeah. And you're not worried about like the nation and what are the other nations and what are their relationships right. and what are they trading with each other?
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, you know, not everything needs to be a trade embargo. Um, so, you know, let's let's start small. Let's figure out why you as new characters you know and that was that was what i did here is that there's a, the, the ascension war which is this fight between the technocracy and the traditions and mages and everything is happening and basically because you guys are all new everybody thinks that you're basically pointless in that so yeah. they send you off to go do something else because it's like well you can't be helpful here so yeah at least get out of my way yeah <laughs> the thing totally. is basically how i wrote it originally um but the nice thing about that is it does allow you to sort of go off and sort of make your own mistakes which we all have been doing plenty of. Yeah. And and go from there. So that was my major prep plan was to do something small and try to avoid the things that scared me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was that was a really good idea on your part and and actually not only did that help you as a GM but I think it helps us as players. Because it also limits what we need to worry about and we can just kind of figure out how our characters work and what we can do in this more limited, you know, smaller town and and we're not having to worry about all this other stuff.
1: Well, it also means like one of the things that a lot of RPGs have a problem with and, you know, uh, the White Wolf, the World of Darkness or White Wolf games have a bit of this problem still is how much like front-loaded um ca- like how much things are front-loaded in character creation with your background your story and everything like that yeah um you know a lot of games that i play especially when you're playing like a first when you're creating a first level character doing whatever i uh, as a gm i typically say that like nothing is set in stone until you level or maybe level twice like if it's yeah if it's 5e then like Nothing set in stone until your third level because yeah. you'll level in like five minutes <laughs> <laughs> through your first. But the idea is, this, is that you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who your character is many times. You don't really know what you're wanting to do. And maybe in those first couple sessions, you sort of learn something else about how you want to play or what you want to do. And sure, maybe there's a little bit of immersion breaking, but I, you know, I'm not. Actually, publishing this or selling it, like we're all just yeah. there to have a good time. So, if you having a good time is saying, you know what, I wanted to start playing a druid, but then I decided that wasn't very fun. So maybe I want to switch my character to a fighter. Like, congratulations, you're a second level fighter now. You picked up a sword and you yeah threw away your staff. Problem solved. <laughs> Who cares, right? Like you you cast two spells once. Yeah. Now we're done. <laughs> now you can't do that anymore. Like it doesn't break any immersion. And so for this, I was trying to do the same, I think the same sort of concept is that like in Mage, you have to pick your traditions, but there's an entire blurb about what those different factions are and how they connect into the greater world and worlds and everything like that. And, you know, one of our players approached me after our last session and said, Hey, I'm thinking of changing factions. Is that okay? And I'm like, Well, you've had really limited communications with them. There isn't really much storyline that's been happening there. So yeah, that's probably just fine, right? Like we can smooth over the narrative of why that happens. And I don't honestly, if I didn't tell you this, you might not even have noticed that it happened because there wasn't those big communications. We hadn't formed those deep relationships. It's once those deep relationships are formed, that then it would become awkward or obnoxious. But yeah, it doesn't. You know, let's have fun with it. And then it allows you to sort of create those characters through play sort of, you know, I don't know, gameplay that sort of exists through play characters that exist through play, which is a lot more fun than 20, 20 page backgrounds uh, that don't that that don't connect with the world because you haven't been in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing I like about the White Wolf games is you don't have classes. So even if the GM isn't comfortable with you just like changing your character after a few sessions, like you're not you're not like limited by those choices. Like, you know, if if you're playing D&D and at first level you decide to be a fighter and then at third level you're like, oh, I would rather rather be a mage or a wizard. You know, you unless the GM lets you change your character, you can't just suddenly become a wizard, or I guess you can, but the the stuff you did as a fighter will always be this, like you'll have these few levels that aren't really helping you. Um, yeah. Where, where this game, it's much more, like you can kind of do whatever you want anyway. So mm-hmm. there's less of that sense of, oh, I wasted points on this when I decided to do this other thing. Because... Right. Like I think the only thing that would make any difference in mages like
1: one of your types of magic is 1 XP cheaper to yeah. level.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's like, really the only thing.
1: I think you'd save over the entire course of your character something like 5 XP. <laughs> it's not a yeah. big deal by any stretch. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more than that, but it's not much. So, yeah, the freedom of that and the freedom of those class- classless systems is kind of great, right? Yeah. Like, what you want to do, and, and it allows you to sort of pivot and move as your character grows. right? Like your, who knows, you've done a whole lot of your, your character in this game has done a lot of like correspondence magic, but maybe after this figuring out that you can turn people's pants into steel, you decide <laughs> that maybe I want to do a bit more matter.
0: Yeah. And you yeah. totally can. You're free to do that. Although it did suddenly get harder once you read up on, on using vampires more.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny what happens when you actually read NPC creation rules, right? Because um, yeah. I, I sort of just, I, I basically I just found like them written. I, I just took the stat block and just that was their very first combat. Is I just had the stat block and I went, this is weird. And so I went actually like into it in more depth and actually had to jump into like I downloaded the vampire book in order to be able to figure out what's going on over there, and then I download yeah. like. I, And then there's a bestiary that I also got, and it was like, oh, okay, when you connect all of these things together, these guys aren't nearly as big a chumps as they were the first time around.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of something I want to ask you about, but I I think I'll ask you after this, because I don't think many people listening would care. (laughs) 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 Um, So I know that uh, you've played games that are both kind of more narrative-focused, like Mage, I would say, and then mm-hmm. games that are more mechanics focused, like I know you're playing the new Pathfinder, or you have played it at least, so yeah. what what are your thoughts on the two? Do you prefer one over the other, or what do you think about it? I like those So I would say that I'm sort of like on the
1: kind of extreme ends of those of those spectrums. If I'm playing uh if I'm playing like a fantasy game, I think as we were sort of talking about earlier, like D and d is sort of taught people what a fantasy game is going to be. Yeah. And definitely. breaking out of that is tough. And you have to have a very clear discussion with your players. Like if you said to you, you absolutely can run a D and D game that doesn't have combat really at all. And is a more narrative focused political game. And that totally can do no problems. Um, but I think that if you sprung that on players, that would be mean to do yeah. to them because you know, they,
0: they definitely people wouldn't expect that. They wouldn't be playing. So if am doing a fantasy, pardon. <laughs> if, if you were doing that, they wouldn't want to play a fighter, for instance.
1: Probably not. Everybody would be playing least,
0: bards and rogues. <laughs> bards and rogues and wizards or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd get a lot of uh, you'd get a lot of warlocks and sorcerers because they're charisma based casters. Yeah,
0: true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is
1: also kind of weird in a way, but anyways. Um, but like that's what that is, so when I'm doing those sorts of games, that's where I lean towards PF2, because I played a bunch of 5e, as I mentioned, and it wasn't quite scratching the itch that I was wanting to for those sorts of things anymore, and so yeah. I looked for another thing, and I found PF2, and it's really scratching a lot of what I want from those as a very mechanical game. Like, yeah. you know, Pathfinder is, there's a lot more rules, even a lot more rules than than 5e, But because of the style of game that it's doing, where it's a lot more of a tactical, you know, combat focused game, having all of those rules, having all those things there that sort of explain how it, how things work and giving people room to play in that like battle mat sort of space. Yeah. um, Where people can make interesting combat choices and interesting character choices and things like that in there. it works really well for that style of game. Yeah. Um, And then if I move into something like Mage or, you know, I've done, I've played a bunch of uh, good Powered by the Apocalypse games like Masks and uh, uh, Monster of the Week and things like this that uh, that I've enjoyed. And, um, And then things like Blades in the Dark as well that are really narrative focused, right? This is all completely theater of the mind combat is not really a thing or or definitely a lot less like even less than mage uh or, or vampire you're you're very much telling a story here um collaboratively it's very low prep and everything so yeah if i'm wanting to do something narrative i like swinging the pendulum almost as far as we can in one direction where you're you know, Power of the Apocalypse games have very light rules, but a really strong framework that they play around in, um, I find. So, you know, you, you have to understand how things work, but the actual dice rolling mechanics and like all of the different things are very, very light, which is great because it allows people to really play through it and, and really sort of explore that storytelling way. Yeah, In the same way as like Numenera does a good job with, one of the things that I love about Numenera is that you don't roll dice as a GM, right? Yeah, Because it allows you to focus your entire energy on just telling the story. And Power of the Apocalypse does the same sort of things as does uh, Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark did something that I always wanted to be able to do within like a fantasy setting, which is uh, it's, it's a game about heists. And if anybody's ever tried to play a heist in D&D, <laughs> it is hard. Yeah. Because you spend a whole lot of time standing in front of a locked door discussing what's on the other side of the door yeah. with no information about what's on the other side of the door. Because everybody feels like they need to have this like, be perfectly prepped in order to be able to do the thing. And Blades in the Dark does a great job of saying, no, you don't do any of that. And there's no prep needed. There's no anything. They have a flashback mechanic where basically yeah. you can say, oh, well, I had thought of that. Right, and then you just basically go back in time and say that it had happened, and then you pop back to the present, and so it allows you to sort of do prep in
0: during play. Yeah, it's like what you mentioned the other night when we were playing. It's like a leverage episode.
1: Yeah, it's exactly like (laughs) a leverage episode, right? Um,
0: And it it, it's great
1: for that. So, um, but the really thing is, is that you need to sort of understand as you play the different games what to bring in. From that, right, like understanding where in a when you're playing something very mechanical like uh, D&D or Pathfinder, when to let those mechanics fall away, when to let those rules go away, right? Understanding what's playing with those, understanding what they're supposed to be doing. And then once you understand what the goal of those rules are, knowing when they actually come up and when they don't. Yeah, like I was playing in a game. Oh, we were playing in. A, I was playing in a five e game yesterday, and uh, somebody cast Zone of Truth on a goblin that was tied up to a chair in a Zone of Truth, and the GM was. They're like, "Okay, well, it lasts ten minutes. Great." And he's going to roll his save at the beginning of every round. and I'm like, "Okay," and it was very obvious. The goblin wasn't going anywhere. There was no other threats. Nothing was going to happen for ten minutes. And it's right. like, "Well, why roll the save?" We'll just wait until he fails. This is the goblin right. fails the save. We right. have a hundred tries at this. He's going to fail eventually, and then we'll right. do what we need to. And so, you know, when I was the GM, I, I sort of said, I said to the GM, "Like, well, this is maybe a little meta, but why don't we just fast forward until they fail, and you don't need to roll dice, and we don't need to roll dice? We'll just because it's the narrative, the story was, was was being told here, right? Right. So, it's looking at a mechanic and saying, eh, go away.' Yeah. We, we solved what we needed to. And, you know, and then once that happened, we were able to get through with some fun role playing stuff and then move on to whatever needed to happen after that. Yeah. Right. So that's where narrative sort of you can bring things back and forth into it. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, de- I definitely appreciate it when a GM realizes that a mechanic is just getting in the way and is mm-hmm. willing to just say, yeah, forget that. Yeah, (laughs) this isn't serving us right now. We're not going to use it. Right.
1: You know, and if you cast zone of truth in combat, then I think it has a different, yeah, for sure. Different, you know, purpose. Um, And and don't get me wrong. I think having a zone of truth in the middle of a combat could be absolutely hilarious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it makes sense. You know, if you're someone who enjoys more mechanical games and enjoys more narrative games that you would prefer games that are hard on one side or the other because a game that tries to do both at the same time is probably not going to do either one very well um mm. so it makes sense to play you know Pathfinder or something to scratch the mechanical itch and then play something like Mage to scratch the narrative itch instead of trying to find something that's going to do both at the same time right. cuz it's probably not even possible to Probably do both isn't. well. <laughs> well, and it's it's one of the things that I'm a little
1: bit because I'm wondering if Mage and we haven't played enough is because it, it does have quite a bit of like there's quite a bit of rules in that game. It's quite yeah. a bit of crunch that exists within it. So yeah. you know, it's it's not a lot. Of, a lot of them have to do outside of combat, but there still is quite quite a bit of mechanical crunch that exists. While at the same time, being a very narrative focused game, so. It's one of the things that as I moved into it, I was curious about whether the World of Darkness and Mage Games were sort of trying to be both. Yeah. And if it and if it was going to do a kind of a poor job of either, or if it was actually a good sweet spot. Yeah. Cause, you know, look at something like well, any of the Power by the Apocalypse games, but I played a bunch of masks. And masks is uh, like it's a you're paying teenage superheroes. And the game's as much about, like, curfews and prom dates and finals as it is about, like, stopping villains. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, a, that's the, the actual, like, combat thing hardly, like, it exists, but it, it's very emotion-driven and story-driven in a way. And this is, you know, there's no hit points and stuff like that, right? Right. And then you look at something like Mage, and there's hit points, and there's damage types, and there's wet and there's Tables of different weapons and armor and all have all that work, and I'm kind of curious to see whether it's going to play out and how it's going to play out,
0: yeah, I, I yeah. do you know now that you say that, I think it's possible that Mage is more crunchy than the other world of darkness games. I mean, I mean, the magic system definitely is. Um, yeah, because like, for instance, vampire, you have what's called disciplines, which is are like your supernatural abilities. But they're they're more like like d spells. Like the one is auspex, which is uh, powers of perception. And so level one auspex is just heightened senses. And I, I think there's a mechanical thing to it, like it either reduces the difficulty or gives you more dice for like perception rolls or something. But but it's very just cut and dry. This is what it is. Right. Um, and if there is a role involved, a lot of them, there's no role involved, but if there is one, it will tell you, you roll this, the difficulty's this, and that's it. Where right. mage, you know, for each of the sphere dots, it's just like, you can do these kinds of things. And at, at best, it's a list of examples of things that you could do that is not all of the things that you could do. It's just some of the things you could do. <laughs> well,
1: and where Mage gets very interesting is if you say, I have this magic, and this magic, and right. this magic, and what sort of cake can I create right. by mixing these things in different ways? Right. Yeah, right. But what I more mean by something is, like, look at Mage versus, or any of the Vampire, like, any of those sorts of games, um, versus something like, even Numenera, right? Like, Numenera, for instance, in combat, you know, you're gonna roll a die. You know what the difficulty is going to be. The difficulty is very basic. Combat like weapons are either like light, medium, or heavy. They have static damage numbers. Uh, there's really only three types of weapons in the game. There's a ranged version of those and a not ranged version of those. Like that's it. Um, so when you think about like from a mechanics point of view of most of the things that's happening in a numenera game, like the the crunch is a lot lower. Um, I would say, and even Numenera is more crunchy than a bunch of other games. Yeah. You know, look at something like lasers and feelings, lasers and feelings has like, what's a one page rule book, if yeah. you would. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, that was more what I was thinking is like, you know, when we were doing our combat the other day and we totally forgot about dodging, like, yeah, we totally forgot that you could even avoid being attacked. And, uh, you know, little things like that that end up seeing whether the game and, and I, I think it's, I think it's doing actually a pretty good job. It could be that the game is, you know, 20 plus years old and they've had time to sort of figure out what they're good at and what they're bad at.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's part of it, too, is it's kind of like this level, this version of mage we're playing is like playing D&D with all of the optional rules you know there is that. <laughs> you know it's you're not just playing with the player's handbook you're playing with volos guide and you know all the other supplements be, because like the the combat specifically you know if i think back to vampire like the core book second edition like your weapons table they had like an example pistol an example rifle and things like that but then they uh, they had the player's guide come out and then you got really granular into, you know, a nine millimeter versus a 44 versus a 45, you know, all had slightly different stats. Um, My goodness. So, so part of it's kind of what version you're playing, I guess, how crunchy it is. And, and, but yeah, I definitely think of the white wolf games, mage seems the most crunchy because it has all the crunch, all the other games have plus the magic system. (laughs) The magic system
1: is what what drew me to it in a way that the other ones didn't, though, personally, Mm -hmm. because it was the thing that I felt was the sort of secret sauce, the sort of thing that's a bit unique to Mage. Oh, definitely. And I guess it isn't, like, I think Ars Magica is pretty close and, or pretty similar as sort of a freeform magic system, but it was very much this concept of, like, building your understanding of the magic. And the world, there's this, there's this interesting concept of like system mastery. I'm jumping forward in our script, apparently. Um, you, you're right on, right on target. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Um, there's this interesting thing in system mastery that is happening with our mage game that I think will only ever happen the first time you play it, and I'm yeah. really enjoying it. Yeah. Because when you talked earlier about that moment where you were looking at your spheres in that fight and you were sort of ran out of ideas of what to do with correspondence and teleportation magic and you went wait I have this other thing what can I do there and like looking at your face you could almost like there was a light bulb that went bling and then you you were like wait this and then maybe this and then maybe this and then the other players were going like wait he can do that maybe I can do this and like everybody had this moment where like the, it wasn't that you couldn't have done that before, but it was discovering that you could do that. Yeah. That was, it was just so fun as a GM to watch that happen. And like, I didn't know you could really do that either. So, yeah. like, all of us just sort of, the, the, the play space is sort of opening up and building and growing in a way that's really organic. Because yeah. as you're, you're these beginning mages, you're these, level one characters, like there's no level, but you know what I mean? Right. Um, you are these starting characters. And so, while well, your character is learning what they can do with magic. It really parallels what you as a player are learning what to do with your magic. Yeah. And so there's this growth that's happening. And as I say, it only happens once because if you play another mage game, you're like, oh, well, now I know how to do all those things. That doesn't yeah. exist
0: anymore. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Because I was just thinking, well, you could play a character with totally different spheres, but chances are someone else in your group played that. So you'll at least know what they what they did to be like, oh, I can do this, this and this.
1: It's, it's a mindset thing, I think, is and it might simply be this like click moment that's happening in Mage that sort of happened in that very first sort of combat under the, when we were when you were really under those stressful moments. Um, and that is the good thing that combat does is it really causes high stress situations, yeah. which means that people feel like they really need to do something. Um, but that was that those sort of click moments. You go, wait, maybe I can, Ooh, and then you can do stuff like that. And there's probably only a couple of those that end up happening as your like play space opens, as your brain sort of goes like, there's this ah moment and you jump forward in it. And, uh, I don't know. That's I'm really enjoying that type of system mastery versus some other types of system mastery that like well old like 3.5 D&D had this where like your system mastery was figuring out that that feat train like chain was just terrible. Yeah.
0: You would only really yeah. know
1: that if you like invested 4 feats in it over 15 levels of play and you're like, "Wait, this just doesn't scale. It doesn't work really well." And it's like, "Haha. Now you know." <laughs> It's like, well that's not very fun system mastery.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. with
1: all that existed kind of free internet in many ways. Yeah. So you couldn't just do a you couldn't just Google up a class guide to figure out that taking that is bad. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's something they really tried to avoid in 5th edition was... They did a really good job of yeah. Those kind of gotcha feats that... Especially ones, like you said, in a tree where you invest all these feats and then you realize, oh, this isn't actually very good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, no, 5e did a good job of getting rid of... I don't think the... I think you'd almost have to like purposely build a bad character.
0: Yeah. But, but um, it's also... Um, you know, we were talking earlier about games that are more mechanical versus more narrative and i couldn't help thinking while you were talking about that that and and this might be unfair but i couldn't help thinking that 5e kind of fails at both <laughs> because you know if i were someone who really wanted a mechanical experience i mean i haven't even looked at pathfinder 2 but i played and ran the original pathfinder and that's where i would go i wouldn't go to 5e um because you had a lot more options for your character to customize and and a lot more options of cool things you could do in combat um than 5e but on yeah. the other hand if i wanted something more narrative i also wouldn't go with 5e cuz like you were saying about the campaign where it's all political and you never have combat it's like you could do that with 5e but 90% of the rules you're never going to use because they're for combat and for like political or social things, you have like three or four skills and, and yeah. that's it. Um, yep. So you'd be better off with something like one of these white wolf games or something for that. There so, is uh,
1: Yeah. There's, there's 10 different games that you could play that
0: would be better at doing that for certain. So five E is kind of somewhere in the middle, but is not great at either one. Five <laughs> E
1: and i don't want to get into like you know version trashing or uh, version wars or anything but I, I kind of agree with you that i think what 5e tried to do was make like this it, it has sort of this false simplicity about it in my opinion where the game itself is very simple in some ways right yeah. like if you're playing uh most characters if you're playing them you make a decision at Character creation, you make a second decision at third level, and other than that, your character is kind of going to be what they are. Right, right. right. Um, you there's, there's two meaningful decisions along the way that are mechanical-focused. You can always do all sorts of stuff with your character narratively, so we'll just... Right. But you can do that in any game, right? That's kind right. of like a straw man argument. You can do that in literally anything. Right. Um, you could do that in, you know, a, you can do that in a book that has no rules.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: you know, that's, the, that's uh, not a great argument. But what you can do, like, 5e does that, so it has this simplicity there, but a lot of the simplicity is simply saying, well, we're not going to put the onus on the players to do this we're going to put a huge onus on the GM to do it to answer a lot of these things and create a lot of this interest and build all of these things into the game and we're not going to give them the tools to be able to do it or we're not going to give them the mechanical backing to be able to have this happen right like yeah you know look at treasure in 5e like it's it's a very silly thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the something is between like rare treasure, I think, is between five hundred and five thousand gold in cost. That's not a it's not a price. That's bananas. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Like, and there's no idea of what to to what, to what to do things with that. So why are you, you know, the concept of giving out treasure and having shops and everything like that, it goes back to like first edition yeah. D back in the day but there's no mechanical tools to be able to do that and what the tools they do gives just basically makes the gm's job significantly more difficult yeah and, and like that's just a small example of something where 5e needs you know and maybe 5 5.5 5, right like if the 5.5 5 comes out or 6 edition like i know they're talking about both of those things If 5.5 came out and they simply said, hey, by the way, here's a book uh, or here's the GM section where they go through and all the items that you need have a set price. And here's how an an economy works. Yeah. It wouldn't be complicated. It wouldn't be difficult for them to do. And problem solved. Right. Now you would be able to figure out how to do that.
0: (laughs) And you could give Roger away. (laughs) I just had a thought I never had before. Maybe wizards are really smart. Well, that wasn't the thought, but I guess that could be a thought I've never had before. But maybe they were really smart because when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about you know, Five E isn't really like great at being like a me- like a super mechanical game. Like it's it's not that um, what's the word? It's not that complex. Crunch, but, it's not super crunchy. Yeah, it's not super crunchy. And at the other, on the other hand, it's not super great at being a narrative game because it doesn't really have much to help you there at all. But what it is good at is being like the gateway drug of RPGs because no matter, you know, if you're a brand new player never played before, it kind of gives you a taste of both ends of the spectrum, like by being somewhere in the middle. And and so you can kind of, by playing it, figure out, hey, I like this, but I'd prefer something more crunchy or hey, I like this, but I'd prefer something more narrative. And then you can go from there. So I wonder if, all along, because I know they plan shit like years out. I wonder if all along there has been plans for like, I don't know if they'd call it 5.5 or 6th edition or 5th edition advanced where they just like tack on like more of the system mastery stuff onto like this skeleton that they've already built for those who want that. But it would be like like you said, like a, like a separate book. That just says, "Hey, for those of you that want more mechanics, here you go." <laughs> oh. Well, I I,
1: they, they did mention that a five point five is coming down. I think like a year or something ago, um, Wizards of the Coast did, and uh, they said it would be completely backwards compatible with Fifth Edition, so there wouldn't like be any any like nothing in Fifth Edition would be broken or anything it just might be things that are updated and
0: replaced so that could be kind of what i'm talking about it could be more stuff to put on top of
1: right or it could be something like hey here's treasure costs or i don't know maybe they actually fix the uh cr ratings that
0: would make like an actual (laughs) combat balancing thing yeah for for the advanced gm to use (laughs) that actually works no, that's, this is a thing
1: for a very non-advanced GM. Advanced GMs ignore CR ratings and move on. Yeah. It's trying to come in as you're a brand new GM. The one thing that I do want to sort of, con the concept you talked about where, like the gateway drug. The weird thing about it is I think that 5e is a gateway drug simply because we all, so many of us have these preconceived notions about what D&D is and the rule sets exist with D&D and things like that. And so, actually, when you move from one system to another, there ends up being this, like, having to forget your bad habits sort of things that, that D&D and Pathfinder and, like, a lot of these games have the same same sort of problems. Like, if I was to bring in, you know, if I had somebody who said, hey, I've never played D&D, I've never done any role playing before, but I've, you know, I've, I've watched some Critical Role and it looks fun. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think I'd play 5e. I wouldn't play Pathfinder. I'd look at something like Dungeon World, which is like a Powered by the Apocalypse type game. And it's like much more narrative. The mechanics are much simpler. If you want to give somebody their entire character sheet is available to them on a single, like eight 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 and a half by 11 for the most part. Like they, they wouldn't, they don't need to know anything beyond it. And it actually plays a lot more similar to how a lot of like the 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 well-done actual plays do which is it's a lot more like combat itself sort of moves a bit snappier for the most part because they push through it as much as they can it becomes a little bit more narrative story building focused and things like this. So, you know, what 5E has is it has history. It's been around for 50 years. And so we all have these sorts of things that I think all of us feel like 5e is really accessible because we've been playing that style of game for so long that we have this, these sort of preconceived notions and understanding that we're coming into with, where if you actually had people who had never played anything like this, you'd end up having to explain a whole lot of stuff that you wouldn't really know how to do, right? Because it would just be a given.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but it's also more middle of the road between Crunchy yeah. and and not where like Dungeon World is very much on the not crunchy side, yeah. so it's not really going to introduce a player to what a crunchy game might be like. That's um, true, and and also D and D, it really depends on what kind of character you play. Yeah, like if you're old. first time player and your DM's like you should play a fighter, it's a lot different than trying to play a wizard or or a cleric where you have all these spells to worry about. But i I don't know. I'm just like spitballing, but but I and and I don't know. i I really doubt that the folks at Wizard w- wanted to to build a game that would help people find other games to play that they don't make. <laughs> no, I, don't think that, I don't think that's their goal. Um,
1: and you know, let's when you say maybe the guys at Wizard the Coast are really smart, i I would say they are. They have like ninety percent of the tabletop RPG market. like I think they've they've obviously done some things, correct. Yeah, I think
0: I think they were really targeting new players with 5th edition and, and also trying to rope in as many of the grognards as they could by having aspects of all the other editions in it that you could kind of, you know, as a GM, you could make it more like 2nd edition or more like 1st edition if you wanted to by how you run it.
1: No, I think they did a good job with that for sure. And, you know, as I say, I played a whole bunch of it. The only reason that I moved away from 5e is that it didn't quite scratch the itch that i was wanting anymore and yeah like the players that i've been playing with we'd been playing 5e and we've been playing through 5e and pathfinder 1 and 3.5 and like been playing for a while and we just wanted to try something different and something new and so that was you know i i the only thing i'd absolutely recommend to people is try new games
0: yeah definitely All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Game Master's Journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Craig, for joining me today to talk the, the GM craft with me. Uh, if you have any comments or questions about what we talked about today, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker, and you can call my voicemail 951-465-5391. That's 951-465-5391. And finally, you can join us in our community on Discord and connect with other listeners and GMs and talk about whatever nerdy thing you're into right now. And uh, yeah, please come join us on Discord. We'd love to have you along for the discussions that we have. So I hope that you have a chance to play your favorite RPG this week. I hope you have a chance to run your favorite RPG. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey and the second part of this interview with Craig. And until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production. Your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Tranceboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at Starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Masters Journey.